Welcome back to Therapy Insiders Podcast. Thanks for tuning in this week. Let's talk about money. It's kind of important. It's always on our mind in some way. Yeah, I know some of us are very altruistic and only want to talk about helping people and the the relationships which are important but we still have to talk about money and usually it comes down to complaining complaining about student loans complaining about debt and a lot of that is grounded in half truths and a lot of misconceptions so we wanted to really have a, a conversation not only about the the principle and the concepts but actually stuff grounded in physical therapy and healthcare that are pertinent to day-to-day, to, to, to everyday, not only business, but life. So we brought on somebody that is, was a physical therapist that switched to the financial realm, Will Butler, and we kind of went over things that are, are, are very much in play and that we hear all the time anyway. And I think Will did a pretty good job of, of covering some of these topics. I think you're really going to enjoy this and you're going to learn a lot. I know Joe and I did. So let's get into it. But first, a word from our sponsor, WebPT. Hey, do you treat Medicare patients? If you do, you're definitely going to want to check out a free webinar hosted by Dr. Heidi Jananga from WebPT on October 26, 2016. Hang out to the middle of this episode for more details on why this is an important webinar for anyone that treats Medicare patients in PT, OT, or SLP. And now, on to Therapy Insiders Podcast. to Therapy Insiders Podcast. Dr. Gene Shirakabrad here with Dr. Joe Palmer. Dr. E is uh, not feeling well. He's recharging a bit. So it's you, me, and, and a guest, Joe. Sounds good, Gene. Ready to feel go. Like we, we, just, we just can't put too many episodes together where it's all three of us co-hosting. You got to keep it special. You gotta, and, you know, if, if it was every time, it'd just get boring. I, I hear variety is the spice of life. I've, I've heard been told. Well. I've heard that. Somebody, yes. somebody smart said that. Or, or somebody very depressed in marriage. <laughs> <laughs> one, one or the other. One or the other. Uh, but, be, but before we get into variety and flavors of things, uh, let's, let's kind of bring things back and, and give a little summary of things. Uh, we've, we've talked about so far this year, which we're getting really close to, to finishing, which which is kind of shocking in itself that we're nearing the end of 2016. But I feel like 2016 has, has been a very uh, business-themed year for us on this podcast. I wouldn't disagree with that. I think we've covered some good topics, though. We have. We have. We've, we've had some incredible guests, and we've talked about everything from you know, Ryan Smith going from school to starting a practice from the beginning to guys like John Childs and Larry Benz who run really successful companies. Um, and we've had 
New York Times bestselling authors. We've had Daniel Pink. We've had Gary Vaynerchuk. And we, we've talked about mindset. We've talked about so many things. But we really haven't talked about finances as an episode in itself, which is, which is kind of shocking to me. But don't everybody turn off the podcast right now. <laughs> and maybe so, right? Because uh, um, it's not the sexiest thing to talk about all the time. Oh, I disagree. I, I think it's sexy as hell because it's money. We're, we're talking about money here. We're, we're not talking about spreadsheets necessarily uh, because that only gets a few people off. Um, and some people are really good at that. Like some people see spreadsheets like like our, our, our friend and partner, Ben Fung, Dr. Ben Fung. He sees a spreadsheet and he genuinely gets excited because he's he's just unbelievable with numbers and spreadsheets. It's just like art to him. I look at a spreadsheet and I want to I want to beat my head against the, the wall and the computer. Um, I get them, but it just it, it doesn't get me excited. But then seeing the, the, the final sum of those spreadsheets, that's a different story. I agree with you. Uh, my, you know, my wife, uh, she does all of my spreadsheets. Uh, shout out, shout Casey. out. That's right. But um, she's 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 better at them. She's good at them, and and they keep us on track. And I, I think I think it's a necessary. I I feel like it's a necessary uh, evil to me. But um, but but they they do they keep you they keep you focused and that that's important um so I, i'm just saying it's not the, for everybody that that is out there that got into pt uh it may not be the the thing that that they love to talk about that that, that they that they want to listen to but i agree with you it's a very important part of not only um everybody's life and livelihood. Um, but, uh, it's important part of the business of, of PT is, is keeping the finances, uh, where, where they need to be. I feel like one of the problems with finances is a similar problem with business and physical therapy to an extent is when you say, when you say the term, it's such an encompassing term and it means so many things to different people that you really have to define it and break it down. Because like you said, it's a crucial part of business and, and business has a lot of elements that make up and are relevant to business. It's an umbrella term. And I think same thing with finance, because you could say finance and somebody will think taxes, somebody will think investment, um, somebody will think payroll. So it really depends on what what you're trying to say. And I think that's an important thing. And I'm sure you've seen that as, as you've grown your business and as you've become more involved in it and how important finance is, because it's, it's the lifeline, right? It's the blood of the business. Oh yeah, it, absolutely. I hope you brought somebody on that uh, can can help us define uh, each each aspect of it. Oh, I don't know, I don't know, but we'll find out. <laughs> I have no idea. Uh, we, we shall see. But but as with business and and like we said with finance, that has so many flavors and similar to Ben and Jerry's, who who have a ton of flavors. Um, our guest Joe is an avid avid lover of, of ice cream and flavors as well as finances and um, our, our guest today is dr will william billy bob butler well, how you doing man hey, i'm doing all right guys how are you pretty good so if you had to if you had to name a flavor for finance if it was an ice cream if ben and jerry made a finance ice cream 
in the world of business, what would it be? Oh, gee, like an existing flavor. Yeah, I don't just just make you can make up an existing flavor and tell me it's existing and, and you made it up. I'll believe you if it sounds if it sounds cool enough. Well, I know it, there's no point in this. People already don't trust people in the finance world because of uh, dishonesty. So I probably shouldn't start off on a on a foot like that. But I, I yeah, don't the know. Truth, I, the set you free. The, I've heard the, uh, the first thing that came to mind was the tonight dough, which is actually a flavor. And um, but that was the first thing I thought of was cash and money. I like it. The dough, the tonight dough. Exactly um, right. I would have went with the mint. I would have went with mint chocolate chip. Well, and they do have that right now. Ben and Jerry's does. I believe you. And it's pretty amazing. Not as good as the Tonight Dough, though. Yeah, I've had the Tonight Dough, Gene. I think he's got you there. Are, are you talking about like the actual Tonight Dough, or you've had money? I'm not. I'm just getting confused with my oh, own I, my own analogy. I mean, this this could go a lot of ways, but I think we'll stick to ice cream on the Tonight Dough. Okay, let's stick with the ice cream on the tonight, though. Um, but let, let's let's transition into the actual finance world. So, Will, you've um, you've been on social media. We've interacted before. Um, you, you know how adamant we are about um, following good practice business, which I think is, is severely lacking in in the in the PT world, and you know even in the healthcare world to, to a big extent. And finance, I feel like, is is one of the one of the crucial elements that gets bastardized and avoided the most because people really don't know how to talk about money. I think there, there's a lot of stigma there. And two, it's, I feel like the conversation usually turns to student loans. And once you, you say those two words, it's only negative from there and it, it's pigeonholed and very tunnel visioned. So what's kind of, what's your outlook on finances and, and what made you transition from the clinic, the PT world into that financial world. Ooh, I, I like the way that got teed up. That's an open field, and I like open fields. Greenfield, uh, man. Yeah, I appreciate that. So I think, first of all, I think you're absolutely right. Right now, of right, of course, uh, right now with all the issues surrounding the cost of becoming a physical therapist, it, we create this, we hyper-focus on student loans. And for the many PTs who I speak with, I, I, I typically go with a metaphor and I relate a financial plan to establishing a football team. And the student loans are just one of the many opponents that you're going to face in a season. And if you don't have a team on the field for any situation, like it makes it very difficult to adapt. And if all you have is a strategy for the loans, then you're really missing the big picture. And the likelihood of you succeeding dramatically decreases because you just get that tunnel vision. I think we see that in the clinic a lot as well. Um, and that's kind of what I found that the key to the finance is Finance, especially personal finance, is very similar to treatment in that it's oftentimes a management of behavior as opposed to an absolute knowledge. For example, the athlete who just can't wait to get back to and return to play. Um, it's not dissimilar to people who they either want to talk student loans or they want to talk investments. And it's like, well, there's a lot in between there. That's, you know, and so I, I find that in, in 
the fact that we have such a difficult time defining that as a profession or as professionals, not just within PT, I've seen the very same thing throughout healthcare. And I think a lot of it has to do with the reason we got into PT and we got into medicine. It has, we don't really care that much about finance. That's not what drives us or else we would have gone the finance route. And that kind of tied into the whole reason why I transitioned uh, from patient care to clinician care. Um, because I, in PT in general, we're, we're incredible people. We're very altruistic by nature. And that's kind of a dual edged sword. And, and the problem that I see with that really mirrors what I experienced in my own family. Um, and because of what my family experienced. So I, I guess what I'm alluding to is that I lost my father at the age of 17 and that doesn't make me special. That doesn't make me unique. It happens to everybody um, at different times. But for me and where it happened, my dad, and you can probably relate to this, uh, Gene and Joe is like, he had just started a business, put everything on the table. It was all about this business, trying to make things work. Never in a million years thought that, uh, um, our family would have thought that he would have suffered from, you know, a heart attack and gone here one minute, gone the next. And the issues and the fallout from that have, were just, they were disastrous for lack of better terms. And I didn't recognize that because I was young. All I thought was, oh man, I need to be the man of the house. I need to watch out for my younger siblings. I need to do this. I need to do that. But what I've realized from that situation is that well-intentioned individuals, still suffer from the same effects. Like intention isn't what gets stuff done. We know that action is what gets stuff done, right? You tell a patient, here's some of your home exercises or here's your plan of care. We need to work on this. We need to stick on this. Okay. They come back a week later, whatever your plan of care states. And how come you're no better? Well, I haven't done anything. Okay. Awesome. Um, and so that's what I, that's that issue that happened with my family. When I got into practice, I, I just, and maybe that was my, fault for kind of projecting that, but it, it did get me to a point of action where I saw just a whole lot of professionals in similar situations where whether it was fear or whether they were just naive to personal finance, for example, they just avoided these things. And the last thing that I would want to see happen to the people in our profession in, in healthcare in general is to spend years caring for others and never taking the time to be selfish and to care for themselves. And so that at that point, that's when I I was challenged by a friend who's a financial planner. And I think basically it was because he was tired of hearing me whine. And he says, Will, you can be the squeaky wheel or you can be the grease. And so that's what that's kind of what started my transition into finance. So you sound like a a mission-based approach. And it it usually happens, and we've heard this before and have seen this before. It's you you go through your 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 life, you go through time you go through events with with a perception of what you want to do and then something just kind of hits you in your ass that that you never thought about like it's happened around you you've seen it you know death disease things like that and like for me i've had i've had events i've had family members die from cancer and i never i, I knew cancer existed but until it you see it right like I, i've been to relay for life but it didn't really mean anything. Like I was supporting it until somebody died in my family from cancer. Yeah. Then it takes on a whole different meaning, right? That seed is planted that then you start to, the world shifts, the perspective of the world shifts. And it sounds like at 17, that seed was planted and it didn't really, 
come to fruition until sounds like you you went through PT school and you, and you kind of saw almost almost a, a mirror image of, of events that kind of started to happen with your dad. Is that is that kind of Oh yeah. Yeah. Just that, that nailed it. That's exactly right. Is that, and, and going through PT school, you know, you hear these people, you, you hear stories about, I just always knew I did this, I did that. Like, you know, anytime that I ever tried to shift my course up into and through PT school, life got weird. Like, and I don't even know how to describe it other than that. And they'd be like, okay, fine. I'll do the PT school, go to PT. And then everything would calm down. And I was like, okay, fine. Whatever this means, take it for whatever it is. And then I get through. And even as I'm going through PT school, I'm just constantly asking myself, like, why in the hell am I here? Like, like I love people. I love education. I love movement. I love just helping people. Like, so I, I have all the, like the general requirements for somebody who could be a therapist, but like, why am I here? And then at my school, uh, Dr. Eric Chaconis runs a great advocacy program. And, and so I started hearing the word a lot. And then a lot of my classmates would use the word autonomy and advocacy and autonomy and advocacy and then I get into practice and I'm like like these words are great but like what do you actually do with them like what is advocacy and then like what is our autonomy and what I started to realize is, is people sprint towards the things that are sexy like it's funny that Joe mentioned that earlier how finance isn't sexy it's absolutely right like there are a lot of things that, you know, I, I frankly don't enjoy about the finances, but that doesn't mean they're not necessary. And when you talked about the mission-based approach, we deserve to have opportunity to fully actualize our autonomy. And until we understand how our own personal dollars work, it makes it very difficult to fully understand how the rest of our dollars work. And so that's kind of what I wanted to do is to be a part of was helping bridge that gap and really caring for the clinician. So you, you got out to the field and you, you kind of started to see the, what, what's going on. You kind of it, it's a bit of a wild west with with a lot of assumptions and half truths um, and a lot of fear. It, it, it's a lot of fear. So once once you started to get out there and, and see that, what did what did you see and what did you start to do about it? Well, well, I got into these situations where I have questions about whether it was employer benefits, whether it was whether it was like my own student loans and, and, you know, I'd ask people these questions, whether it was colleagues or upper management or HR or, you know, it didn't matter who I asked. The answers I were get, I was getting were weak. And for me, I think one of the things of being a professional and being able to call ourselves, you know, doctor. And, um, typically I prefer to use that when I'm getting dinner reservations. It makes me feel a little bit more special, but, but with that, like here we are, people are sitting down and opening up to us, expecting us to, their assumption is we have all this knowledge. And what I found is that those unanswered questions that I had related to my own self oftentimes would enter my mind at times when I should really be able to pay full attention to the task and for what I was, you know, employed for lack of better terms to do. And, and it wasn't until you start getting those answers where you can start feeling comfortable in your own skin and you can stop avoiding those things that aren't sexy um, and kind of really be empowered to be able to take action. And that's, um, yeah, I don't know. I kind of started going off, off a soapbox. If you got a question to kind of draw me back in, that'd be great. <laughs> You got it. Let's get him off a of soapbox, Joe. What do you say? All right. So, how do you do it? What are you What are you doing now to to help help 
uh, seems like you're focused on on more of the the new grad. Um, what what are you doing now to to help them with their finances to help them get that plan? Great question, Joe. And I think you're absolutely right. Like the focus does seem to be on the new grad, and I think a lot of it has to do with they're actively seeking help. They're looking for solutions. And so I wouldn't say, you know, yes, some of them, they would absolutely describe themselves as panicked and I couldn't disagree with them. Um, And so, you know, they're, they're coming in there just like some of those people that the reason they show up in the clinic is because something happened and, or they, or something is happening. And so that's where a lot of my time is spent with the clinicians. The first thing as far as how I help is to just get, help them regain a perspective of, of what it, what they're actually dealing with and starting to look at it as more than I go to work and I pay my loans, but to help paint the picture and help add some perspective to what the rest of life looks like and ask the questions to help them be mindful of what else life might involve. And, you know, that's typically done very similar to what we're doing right now. Um, a lot of times it's over the phone. I mean, I've got more, I've got more people and clinicians I work with outside of my home state, um, than within, which I'm okay with. Cause I've, I'm plotting my exit strategy from Ohio. Um, but, but as far as the other, it's, I found that with more seasoned clinicians, a lot of it is access, um, because they're so busy. Their lives have so many more moving pieces of what's going on, right? Kids, you know, gymnastics, dance, swimming, uh, their own practices, more leadership, what, whatever it might be. It seems like the ability to get in touch with the younger clinicians, um, with those with, I would say, argue less complicated lives, uh, is a little bit easier. Um, and so as far as my focus there, that's kind of what it looks like. And a lot of it, do you find, um, do you find that there is less of a transparency barrier with the younger clinicians or just the, the younger generation than somebody that that's been practicing and just feels, feels very guarded in in sharing and talking about finances? Yeah, I, I would absolutely have to agree with that. Um, How do you get past that? You know, I think uh, usually a pint of Ben and Jerry's ice cream. That's about mm. that's about how you got to bring. No, but the the reality is is I've found that a lot of barriers are brought down, have been brought down, uh, really based on referral and knowing network. Because when they know it's somebody who, someone they've trusted has already vetted the source, the conversation becomes a lot easier. As a matter of fact, I've been cut off in some of my um, introductions is people just say, listen, like, it's important. I, I agree. It's important for me to know who you are. But, you know, the people who speak highly of you, their word is going to mean more to me than anything you'll say. So if that helps you with where you're going, then great. So I found that that help get around the barrier. And I I think with the more seasoned clinicians or those who are less transparent, it's really an issue of just creating and kind of what we're doing right now is fostering a conversation and to help gain some perspective and to help people realize that it's not me sitting across from you. It's me sitting next to you and us kind of looking out over the horizon of, all right, well, what do we need to be mindful of? And and what, what, what are things that we should really pay attention to? And frankly, what are we even dealing with right now? Like, um, what players do we have on our team and are there players that we need? 
So what are some critical elements of finance? Let, let's, let's talk about personal finance first, uh, which, which I think is, is grossly undertaught from way back um, from high school, college. I don't think we're, we're taught enough. Um, yeah. I think it's on a lot of parents to, to do that with kids, but it's, it's that same perpetuating information. You know, it's, it's the same college coaches or, or high school coaches that tell you to do, um, antiquated stretches and exercises because they were taught by their coaches. And it's, it's this sharing of, of bad or outdated information I feel like is, is the same in, in that, in that realm and the same in finance realm. So how, how do you break down these myths and how do you start to build up the truths and what are the most important foundational truths of personal finance? I think that that's a great question. And I, I think that the most important, and you're absolutely right. Like when I started making this transition and, and working through and going through and spending some time and uh, I would ask this question like all the time, I'm like why in the hell did nobody tell me about this before? And then when I look back at it and, realize, well, I was, my skull was probably a foot and a half thicker than it is right now. And I wouldn't have listened anyway. But I mean, the reality is, is that a lot of these things, I don't really think are understood the way that they should be by those who should be able to explain them to us. Like, you know, I took my accounting classes. They've literally done nothing for me. You know, I took home ec, learned how to stitch a pillow and make biscuits, but never how to like what to worry about with, with employer benefits or what our benefits or how does any of the real rudimentary stuff. And then you transition out of high school, you go into undergrad and then, um, basically it's, it's high school with even a larger allowance because of how readily available student loans are. And nobody tells you how to spend it. And then all they want to do is, um, I don't know. That's a different topic for a different day, but all the, what they're, it, the, the education is not being put where it needs to be. And now we're receiving an education and it's more of us like having more of those Homer Simpson dough moments where we're looking back. We're like, man, woulda, coulda, shoulda. And so I think a lot of it, I think some of what would really help the profession in healthcare in general and what I'm kind of working on behind scenes and with a few different people is, is helping create somewhat of a curriculum that's not, so boring, but is more just, we would call it clinically relevant, right? Things that we can put into practice now to help look at things such as like, cool, I'm applying for this new job and they say they have benefits. What do those benefits actually mean? How do we make them, how do I make them work for me? my family, what's actually there? What does that leave me in need for? What, what do I actually need? And what do they mean? What do they need to be? Whether it's, whether it's some sort of an investment need because the 401k just isn't cutting it, whether it's, um, okay, cool. Like the only way that I can protect my income and protect myself and protect all the years of education that I've put between my, my ears and the skills that I've developed at the end of my wrists in my hands, the only only way to protect that is with disability. Okay. That all of a sudden takes on a different meaning and little things like that. And, and I didn't think that it was that big of an issue, but man, Gene, so, some of these other healthcare professions, they don't even ask my name. They just ask for certain things because their programs have, I don't want to say program them, but they, they've instructed them in a way to help instill the value of certain elements of planning. And they literally jump at, at getting these things to protect themselves so that then they can use that as a foundation to springboard into the rest of their future without having to worry. It's really interesting. 
really interesting indeed. And before we keep going with Will, let's take a break and hear a word from our sponsor, WebPT. If you treat Medicare patients, you will want to check out nine most common Medicare misconceptions for PTs, OTs, and SLPs free webinar hosted by Dr. Heidi Jananga and Tom Ambry. The webinar will be presented on October 26th at 9 a.m. Pacific. Dr. Jananga and Tom will cover nine Medicare rules rehab therapists frequently violate, explain in plain English, which is always nice, what the rules really are, and provide strategies for ensuring full Medicare compliance going forward. I promise you do not want to mess with compliance. Check out Dr. Jananga and Tom Ambry, October 26, 2016 at 9 a.m. Pacific. And now let's get back to Therapy Insiders podcast. And then I know there was a second part of that question, but my long pause is because I forgot it. It's a dramatic, it's a dramatic pause. I appreciate the direction. Um, what what are some of those things? What are some of the some of the programs and and what have you found that are, are some things that they're programmed with that that are that they see as important for them to know? Well, for for example, like what he was talking about before, like protecting yourself as a clinician um, and being mindful that you know there are a lot of things that can happen to you that aren't musculoskeletal that, that don't, that you, that won't fix itself in, you know, six months, for example, um, you know, a lot of like graduating dentists, the first thing they do is protect their hands. So when they do that, they get, they'll go and they'll get a supplemental disability policy. Conversation will literally go, um, Hey, I need, how much money can I get to protect my hands? I need that. Well, cool. You don't even have a job yet. And, and why? Because they recognize what what their value is and what actually drives their income. And probably they probably got a bunch of professors who aren't able to practice because they've beat themselves up over the years. Um, so, so that, for example, understanding your employers, like we mentioned earlier, 401k and understanding what the ramifications of it are and recognizing that if all I do is rely on my employer to provide for my retirement, there will be shortfalls. And once you recognize and you've kind of looked at your plan and you can say, all right, well, what are those shortfalls and, and what are things that I can be mindful of? And, in you know, even little things, um, Gene, like how much of my income should I be trying to save? And you mentioned things not being taught or passed down. A lot of that has to just do with the way how things have just changed generations. We don't really have pensions anymore. You know, pensions are what took care of our grandparents, some of our parents, and they didn't have to worry about retirement because their company took care of them. But in the environment we're in now, I mean, we're so transient, especially as a profession. I mean, your likelihood of being with a, an employer long enough for them to even consider anything like that is, is just not really even an option, not on the table. And, well, even more than that, the, the generations, even our parents, you know, it was their, their bank accounts, their CDs, yep. their percentage rates were just different world compared to what, what they are now. And, and to, to give somebody that advice, yeah, just put it away in a CD and take it back or, you know, take the money out in five years, like to, for what, like 0.5%. Yeah, exactly. Interest like that, that makes absolutely no sense, but you, you kind of have to look at that landscape. And, and to me, like, I, I don't see any other way aside from either really trusting yourself and doing the due diligence. But like, to me, and we always talk about this is, is focus on your strengths and partner with your weaknesses. And to me, like guys like, like you that, that have that, um, 
kind of bilingual understanding of, of professions that, that speak the two languages of finance and PT, that's incredibly unique. That's why we get a lot of praise at UpDoc with the marketing and, and because we speak the two yeah. languages. We speak the language of the consumer and we speak the language of the physical therapist. And that becomes incredibly powerful because you can be relevant to both sides. And I think that's really what is needed. And to, to get, get past that barrier of I'm afraid to talk about it or I don't, I don't know what to talk about or I don't want to sound like an idiot or I don't want to see that. I don't want him to see that my bank account has $200 left. Like all that stuff is so trivial because it really doesn't matter and Exactly to me that that makes it more critical to get into. Well, it. And that, and that's really a lot of what, what I kind of hope to generate and to be a part of is like, yeah, sure. That'd be great if everybody under the sun wants to work for me. I mean, work with me and like, and actually, even as I said that, that made me scared. That's Freudian, Freudian slip. Yeah, well, and that's probably why I got nervous is because, um, the thought of having to, that's a lot of responsibility. There are a lot of physical therapists, but the, the reality is, is what I'm hoping to spur is like some sort of an action. Like I, I spend, you know, any school that would put me in front of them, I would stand in front of their classes, especially those who are getting ready to, you know, take job offers or in those negotiations who are doing those things. Because like, I wish that somebody had done that for me. And I was even an older student in my class and I still didn't have those, those perspectives. And the, and the issue is, is like the reality is by the time you get done in through PT school, if you're just now starting to learn about finance, like you haven't completely missed the train, but you're definitely not starting ahead of the game. That's for sure. And so it's one of those things where it's like, all right, we got to hurry up and catch up. Not necessarily in terms of like dollar amounts specifically, but your knowledge and what you're making happen in your life. Because the moment that one of the things we do is, is we're too, we're willing to rely on somebody else to take care of us and to make sure our house is in order instead of kind of like what you were saying, Gene, recognizing like we were talking about earlier, like if I put a hole in my wall, I know that I don't have the, um, the home ownership skills to go and patch this wall myself. Like it's just not going to happen. So being able to recognize that, able to partner with the right people to do that. And, and I, it's just so pivotal, I think. And especially because the landscape we're in, I know I saw some of those questions they're talking about, is it worth becoming a physical therapist? Should I do it? Should I do it? Like, and I get a lot of those questions and I, I, you know, I'm really sad at how many people are, are, you know, frankly, are just ready to kind of throw in the towel, which, um, you know, then they would argue, they say, well, look what you did. Well, and then whatever that turns into a little bit of a cat fight. But the point is, is that, is that there's a lot that can be done but you have to be willing to do it. And a lot of it's not going to be sexy to get started and to get going, but you need to be doing those things because those are going to set you up for future success. And in a profession where we can't afford the same financial inefficiencies as let's say our counterparts in the surgical communities, for example, you know, they, they make a $50,000 mistake. It's, it still stings, but that's not nearly like making a $50,000 mistake as a therapist. And it's not to say to aggrandize their profession and their choices. It's just to say we need to be a little bit smarter about the game we play. Yeah, for sure. So, Joe, as as a business owner, as somebody that interviews um, and hires, 
do you how much of this process do you go through with them how much of the how much of the benefits do you explain how much of the 401k do you explain or do you do you expect them to have some level of of kind of built-in understanding and research and homework on this stuff I think everybody's different, Gene. Um, so, I mean, when we, when we lay out an offer, we're not going to sit down and, uh, and and go through it uh, at, a, at a remedial level for everybody. But I will say that um, when when we a lot of times when we when we do hire a new grad, um, they have a lot of questions and, and, and we will sit down and, and help them fill out uh, their their forms and explain um, explain our, our simple IRA and our, our match and, and what that means and and why they should at least uh, you know put the put the three three percent in that, that, that we're gonna match for them uh, it, it just thing things like that that um, that they have they've never done before they have questions about it. I mean for for most of these the the new grads this is their first um, this is their first real real job. You have some career changers, but uh, for for the majority, um, either they're coming in with a lot of uh, fundamental questions about about what what their benefits package involves. Well, Joe, can I ask a follow up question to that? Sure. How would how does that how do you feel when? Does it change the way you view the potential uh, candidate, like based on their knowledge and understanding? Like, I guess I should say, like their knowledge coming into that discussion. Like, how does that impact you on the hiring side? We would say, does it have any influence? Um, that's a good question. Uh, I would say most of the time, that's that's not something that we are getting to until after we've already extended them. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, I, but I will, I will say that, um, I'm, I'm okay. I'm okay with teaching, cool. teaching that. Um, I think, I think there are, there are a lot of different areas that, uh, we expect to provide mentorship to our young therapists. And if we can do it in, uh, in a financial and, uh, life sense, we, we want to do that as well because, um, the the better uh, prepared and the happier that you can keep them, um, I, I think I think it it turns over for you uh, tenfold um, in 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 how they work in your clinic, how long they Absolutely. stay with you, um, how successful they can be in the other aspects of their life. Um, I, I think it's I think it's important to to grow the whole person, not just the not just the absolutely. Side. Well, and then if you knew that you had a greater likelihood of retaining it, do your do your benefit offerings are some of the vesting schedules? And obviously, I'm asking these really vague because I don't know much about your practice, um, but. Like, is that be knowing how transient people clinicians are early in their career? Is that kind of what's dictated what what is offered and when and what levels from an owner's perspective, knowing that they might not be there in six months? 
I, I don't know that I understand the question, knowing that they might not be well, there in six that, months. Knowing like, that, like, like you talked about, like the the happier that you can keep the the new clinician, um, as far as helping them stay focused and enjoy their transition into professional life. Uh, I've talked to some employers and they've talked about benefit offerings and they've talked about those different things and and frankly they've just said, you know, I offer what I offer because I don't even know if they're going to be here in a year. So I don't roll out the red carpet because, you know, obviously I can be frank since we're not using any names, but they're a little bit apprehensive to really lend a lot of support to the clinician because they don't know how long they're going to be there. Well, they're running a shitty business then. I mean, if, if you go half-assed into I, that, then they're, they're, they're idiots. I, I will say that uh, I... I would hope, that, and and I I'm just going to come out and say I I plan on everybody that I hire being there being there at least a year uh, and and if if I don't plan on them being there for longer than a year then I probably shouldn't yeah. have hired them. No, that, that's that's helpful um, because I because that's what I like. I really think. Well, I should say what what weight do the. Have you seen that the like the increase in student loan burden has that affected some of your younger clinicians in terms of has that manifest? Have you been able to tell, or do they do a pretty good job of hiding it? Yeah, I I feel like um, a lot of our younger clinicians, um, I, I, the more and more that I talk to, the more and more I see them uh, picking up picking up PRN work somewhere else. So yeah, I, I think it has influenced the number of people. So we have, we have clinicians that, um, that wanted to, wanted to go out and get hours uh, at, you know, PRN hours somewhere else. They, they said, look, we're, I'm going to go work uh, somewhere else to just pick up some extra hours to pay off some loans. And, and so, um, that's, that's part of the, the way we started, uh, having having saturday hours we said well if you're going to go do it somewhere else why don't you why don't you just do it for us on a saturday and and we 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 staffed our saturday that way um but i I think that people are thinking about it trying to figure out where where that money is going to come from and as you know it, it depends on how how you've planned to pay that back did you did you plan to pay it back as a uh, as a percentage um, of of your of your income uh, you know a, a, a percentage base or or are you did you not um, consolidate and you're you're paying you know maybe maybe ten different uh, different loans from from three years worth of, of school you know it's it it really is based on their situation. I'm sure that's what you, what you advise them about. That's what you work on, right? Let's go, let's go over some we've had, um, since we're kind of getting into the student loans, we've had a bunch of questions. Uh, let's go through some of those questions and let's take a step back on PT school in overall. And I was actually on a podcast the other night on two nobodies podcast. Um, which was which was a fun chat and it's a it's a cool podcast to check out so shout out to those guys um but we also had a question today from dan johnson and these guys asked me the same question is is pt school a good investment um dan said he would argue not at this time but he wants to hear our perspective so well why don't you start it off what do you think is a hundred thousand dollars worth the pt school education i think if it's 
uh, like some people just extend their schooling because, well, I don't know what I want to do. And I want to do something in healthcare, but I don't want to deal with blood. Like I've heard that. I don't think that's worth the investment in that case. But I've talked to plenty of students who and young clinicians who, when you get in and asking them their why and getting to understand, well, what makes you tick? Like if you remove dollars, is this still something you would do? And by and large, they say yes. From an economics, from a you know financial perspective and point of view, I mean, it's a strong argument against it. And I think because that argument is growing, I think that's one of the reasons why, um, you know, RC 1116 has been kind of brought up as a way to really examine the cost, the expense that's being incurred in becoming a therapist, um, because there really is, I mean, it's not a fun place to be if you haven't done planning and you're not aware of what you're actually taking on. And even in some cases, even if you understand perfectly clear, it's still not fun. Like, you know, a lot of times you talk to clinicians and say, well, you come out of school, what do you want? Well, I want a home. Okay, well, you do have a home. You just can't live in it. That's your student loan. So let's let's kind of look at this a little bit differently. And really, you got to reevaluate your situation because it's not simple. And um, your solutions can absolutely require you to make some sacrifices. So, like, you know, I, I don't know everything that that Dan is is going through. I don't know where he's coming from. I think when these because the rule of thumb is you want to be as close to one-to-one your first year salary as the amount of money you take out in loans. And when people know that, man, that all of a sudden becomes a conversation that you got to save and pull somebody back from the edge because, you know, the students are looking at one and a half, two and a half, you know, I've seen almost three times salary in student loan debt. Now, where does the fault fall on that? I mean, situation to situation basis. A lot of that comes down to schooling choice. A lot of that comes down to understanding what you're getting into because I've seen that counterpoint and I've seen that kind of back and forth a little bit in the various groups, whether on Twitter or Facebook. And if your purpose for getting into physical therapy was financial, financially motivated, that was your mistake. And it's probably not the best profession for you. What do you think, Joe? Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm going to just say, I, I think, that it it is still a, an investment um, that is worthwhile because you're you're still coming out with a very stable um, and and very in demand uh, field um, that that you are you're going to be able to um, continue to work. Uh, when, 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 where, and how you want for the rest of your life. Okay. So, you know, bar, barring any, any, you know, thing that, uh, you, you need disability insurance for, you, <laughs> um, you're going to, you're going to be able to do that. And I think that, um, that's, that's kind of the problem. People are coming out with, you know, your fine arts degrees yeah. in, in basket weaving and, and they're, they're not able to find a job at all. Um, and they still have uh, a significant amount yep. of loan debt, and, but and they can weave a hell of a basket. Yeah. They can weave a, a hell of a basket, but Etsy, Etsy, that's <laughs> shit. <laughs> see, that's the entrepreneurial spirit in you coming out, Gene. That's, that's you, true. You, you, you see, so you you might have been okay with that fine arts <laughs> degree, but um, 
right what i'm saying is you're still you're still going to make a, a a good salary um and and you're going to you're going to pay back the loans it's it's not i think the the difference is that I think when they when a PT comes out, they think, "Oh my gosh, I'm, I'm making this amount of money," and then they realize how far that amount of money goes once you once you're paying all yep. of your bills, and it's and it's it's there's a discrepancy there that they're not prepared totally. for, um, and and so that that's the that's the big thing. I also think that a PT salary right now, um, it it starts to cap out sooner than they think. Totally. <laughs> um, so uh, if you're not um, adding value to your company in in alternative ways, if you if you are not uh, going above and beyond being a staff physical therapist, um, your 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 value uh, to the company and your salary is going to cap out. Um, you, you, I'm going to say uh, somewhere in that five to seven yep. year range. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, I think to me, to me, anybody that says that physical therapy is not a good investment, I think doesn't have a good grasp on why they're in exactly. physical therapy and, and and the potential not not just not just like fluff potential, but realistic potential. Like, like just just break this shit down. You're getting a a degree in in a career in a field where you're almost guaranteed bare minimum to make sixty thousand a year potentially up to 90,000 in, in some instances, a hundred thousand. I know it's a magic number for a lot, but it's a small percentage that, that get there. But like you said, Joe and Will, like if you hustle your ass off for a couple of years, if you work two jobs, if you work three jobs, you can be making over a hundred thousand dollars. That that's the re- realistic potential of this. The stuff that I've learned as a physical therapist, the, the ability to interact with people, uh, the ability to get people to do shit that they don't want to do, but you get to do it, but they do it anyway because you're clinically trained to get people to do, to convince yep. them to do things that they don't want to do is a skill most people totally. don't have. And we are clinically trained to do this. To me, that is worth $100,000 because it is an empty slate. It's a, it's, it's, a, it's a canvas. It allows you to have a foundation that pretty much plays anywhere to be able to go into finance, to be able to go into entrepreneurship, to go pretty much anywhere. If, if you don't want to stay in a PT field or you want to, or you want to extend the skill set that you learn, if you don't want to just treat patients. So to me, the opportunities are so vast than what you can do with that hundred thousand dollars that you can't in, in any other ways. And, and if worst case scenario is that you are just treating patients day in and day out, and making seventy to eighty thousand, and you're getting your three to five percent raises every year. If you're a shitty therapist, you're still gonna pay off those student loans as long as you're not being a dumbass and buying a million dollar houses and cars you can't yeah. afford. Like you will pay that off, and you will pay that off faster than most people will in other jobs. And you will have a job pretty much always. Totally. I I think. Well, I really like some of the. I really liked actually a number of points that each of you made, and and it comes down to its perspective. I mean. <laughs> My thing is, is it's you, you need to, I guess the issue that I see is that we're not having these introspective defining these introspective audits for lack of better terms to, to really, why am I here? And if you're here just for a dollar, you probably shouldn't be here anyway. You know, like you mentioned before, Gene, and you mentioned when you were talking and then Joe, you also mentioned it, it, it's a value proposition. If you can magnify your value, you can go out and capture 
the dollars. You can find ways to do it. You can pick up the extra jobs. And, and you're, you mentioned and talked about something as well just in your closing statements that if you're outpacing your salary because of lifestyle, that's not the profession's fault. Um, you, part of being the adult and part of being autonomous and uh, wanting that responsibility is you got to own that. I mean, not everything you own is going to be fun, and there's some definite downsides to that. What, what I feel is is unfortunate is is just how blindsided some of these people are feeling regardless of what the reality is it's that blindsided feel and it really is like you know getting the wind knocked out of you and it's difficult to kind of recover and i think that's where a lot of this education kind of bringing this full circle can really help people actualize that autonomy and feel empowered you know we're trained in critical reasoning uh, and one of the beauties of that is you're able to kind of take a look at things from different angles and views and be able to synthesize some numbers and to look at stuff and be able to say, you know what? Um, I know that this isn't fun. I can reason out this isn't going to be fun, but I can do it. And here are some ways that I can do it. The problem is, is that sometimes we let life get in the way and we don't do it. And I think that that's asking why I spend so much time on working with younger clinicians, that's a lot of what it is. Like they feel busy and the exams are difficult and their schedules are busy. But the moment you graduate and begin as a clinician, life takes on a new pace. And so if while you're already in that learning mindset, you start to instill some of these principles and while the environment, you can control a lot more variables, it just makes sense. And it's a great way to kind of establish that foundation. And I think you're absolutely right. It's amazing the things that so many therapists are doing and finding ways to be creative and i think it's it's really exciting yeah absolutely so we've been um we've been kind of talking about the value of getting into physical therapy school but like you said once once you get through it and you get that first loan bill like i, I cried inside yeah, right. a little bit it, it, it sucks there's no getting around it the interest rate's even worse so we had a few questions on repayment of student loans and they kind of uh had a similar similar tone to it. So Joe Lipsky asked, do you think taking an aggressive strategy to pay back students' loans as fast as possible is a better option than just spreading it out? Um, and Derek Nielsen asked, is income-based loan repayments the best route for graduating That's a great question. And one of the things that I'm going to defer, and I guess this would be a shout-out from my end, is Joe Reinke over at Fitbucks. He is not a DPT, unfortunate for him. He'd argue otherwise because he didn't have to take out loans for it. But his his wife is a PT. And so he's kind of watched the development of this. And his company, Fitbucks, and that's Bucks with a, an X. And I have no affiliation. He's not. But I, Joe, Joe's actually working on a guest blog post for us. So we'll, okay, be, we'll be chatting with him. So I mean, I, he's not sending me Ben and Jerry's or anything like that. There's nothing on the slide. But what I really like is that he's trying to provide incredible value with being able to answer a lot of these questions because it is case by case and situational, right? So the clinician who's like, man, I want to travel and see the country. Okay. All of a sudden that tells me they're going to be capturing, they're going to get their hands on a lot more income. And especially the closer they are to that one-to-one -one ratio. Now it becomes a lot more favorable to probably overfund and get the loans taken care of quickly. And I know that in the popular media, it's debts, the enemy, get rid of it. But sometimes as you start far reaching and you start over 
overextending yourself when you're getting to one and a half, two, two and a half times your salary, it then becomes very compelling to leverage um, some of the government programs with the federal loans, which then doesn't make a lot of sense to refinance or to even consolidate um, because you're going to be paying an income. It's not based upon your loan note anymore. It's, it's a percentage of your salary. Now, that becomes strategic, and that, that's, why, that's why anytime these discussions come up online, like direct them to a couple, I direct them to a couple articles potentially, and then just say, we need to get on the phone because the last thing that I want to do is perpetuate misinformation and to give a half, a half-assed answer to a situation that really does. It's a lot like a door hinge decision where, you know, it swings a little close to the hinge, but it moves the door a lot. And the last thing you want to do is put somebody off course. And so for some people, especially if it's a dual income home, it's a very simple lifestyle. There's not a lot of spending. People are typically savers. Not a lot of like if if you don't have a lot of working parts and you've got a lot of extra money coming in and your salary to debt ratio is pretty favorable. I mean, it makes a lot of sense to pay that at the expense of your retirement, a different discussion. You just run the numbers and see if it makes sense. Now, I know that's totally contrary to some of the popular media, but that's fine because with their, a lot of that's geared towards is consumer debts. $150,000, $160,000 uh, student loan is not the same kind of debt, especially just the way the loan notes are structured and the other opportunities that are available you know, with some of the income driven programs, you know, because some of these people that they might be the sole breadwinner and they might be coming out married, might have children. It makes no sense to try to pay that off aggressively. If that ratio is skewed, because now you're, you're sacrificing your, you know, the well being of your family. And then here you are in 10 years. And now you're, you've just the same interest that's fighting you is the same interest that's trying to help you. And I'm not advocating that this is a perfect solution. I'm just trying to help illustrate that it's really important to, to sit down and have the difficult discussion with yourself of what your loans look like and then get somebody who knows a thing or two to kind of kind of poke holes in your plan and see um, how strong of a plan it is, because it does matter. Yeah, I agree with that. I think that that's absolutely true. And I think conversations like these are great to get interested, just get people thinking like the, the answers need to be need to be one to one. They need to be tailored to the person because, you know, God forbid a situation happens like yours, Will, where the, the breadwinner or just one of the parents, if, if you're in a family and you were just so focused on just keeping your head down and not doing anything with your kids and just paying off the loans. And then God forbid something happens to one of the parents and you, you know, you've sacrificed that time of, of enjoying life and, and doing something once in a while because you're, you just, you're so focused totally. on paying off loans. And if one of the parents dies, that that's heartbreaking because that's, that's memories and times you can't have back. All you have is just some money. Paid exactly. Off right. Account. Exactly. You just nailed it. It's really weighing out that quality of life because you know, our video game generation that this isn't a do over like life's not a do over. And so you really need to take that into account. Like, um, and, and just take that measure. Great point. Great point. Gene. So if, if they do want to get some answers from you, if they want to hear a little bit more, custom answer and, and kind of hear their story. Where, where can you they know, find I, you? Like, I love when people contact me through, I'm not going to say Twitter because we know that I'm pretty terrible. Yeah, you got to step yeah, up my, your game, My man. Twitter you game is real weak. And, um, 
And so through, you know, my personal Facebook, I don't mind if people reach out to me through that. I really don't. The issue I have is when these people, they, and I, I know that I've seen it, is that they just friend requests and then you send a message, hey, you wanted to talk? And then it's crickets. So that or just follow and you can always message me through my Facebook business page. It's just my name, William Butler. Um, and then you can find it that way, just searching it. Great place. Leave me a message. I'll get back to you. Um, more than likely, I'm just going to send my Calendly link so we can set up a call and just make a proper professional introduction. But, I mean, those are the best ways to get a hold of me um, would be through those social media outlets. Awesome. Joe, any closing thoughts? No, I think that uh, it's important for for everybody to think about think about their finances and, and I'm – I'm glad that uh, we got to talk to Will tonight, and uh, and I, I think he's he's doing good work, and uh, people people should take him up on that offer. That's a good <laughs> offer. Um, yeah. As long as yeah, I mean you, that ice cream needs to be delivered before the first call. I mean that's just kind of I figure that's an, an unspoken, but I should just make that known. Does Amazon? Sure, do they do. There's probably yeah, a push button. Sell ice cream. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure they do. I'm sure they do. So, so stock up on Ben and Jerry. Send it. Send it over to Will. Get on the call and uh, get get your finances straightened out. Simple as that. It's simple as that, Joe. It, it's incredibly simply complex. <laughs> That's good. I, I appreciate it, guys. I like. I appreciate you giving me a voice. Yeah, it's it's fun to talk. I think it's it's an important conversation to have. Um, we are obviously just scratching the surface on on the finance world. I think this is this is a portion, a, a piece of that, a flavor of ice cream, so to speak, with with many more out there. And um, I think you know something something that we'll delve into and, and talk in, in more in more deeper extent, whether through podcasts or other medium. So I think it'll be good. All right. Hope you enjoyed that episode focusing on financials and really covering a lot of real world day to day stuff that I'm sure affects a lot of you that you worry about that you think about from 401ks to paying off your student loans to getting financing to start a business. So there's a lot of a lot of variables out there aside from just making money. So I hope you found this really useful. I think Will's a good resource to to leverage to use to reach out to him give you his contact information and and please use that the more you know the better so as always if you need to get a hold of us find us on twitter at therapy insiders for me at joe dpt for joe and the ompt for urson if you have more specific questions you could always email us gene at updocmedia or send us a facebook message check out our page updocmedia Thanks for listening. Catch you again next week.